Good morning. We're going to speak in, I'm going to be speaking from uh, 1 John chapter 1 this morning, so if you turn there in your Bibles, <clears throat> we'll read 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, down to the end of the chapter. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Then this is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for what was sung about just. that We worship you because of who you are, not for everything that you've done for us. And you deserve worship just because you are God's. But the amazing thing is that you have done a lot for us as well. And it's a wonderful God we serve. And Lord, as we want to learn more about you here, and as we want to understand who you are and how that impacts our lives as we and our worship towards you, we pray, Lord, that this will be an extra time of blessing, uh, that it would also be practical for us and our walk with you. And for any who do not know you, that this would be uh, where they get their understanding of you and bow the knee to you as a saviour. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like to present you with a hypothetical situation. And then I'm going to give you a moment to think about it, and then we'll put it to a congregational vote. We're not going to be counting the votes, it's just for your own um, entertainment, really. There are no right or wrong answers. So just vote as you feel led, but you've been warned about it now, so don't be surprised when I ask you in a moment. (laughs) So the judge has a man standing before him who was recruited by a ruthless gang as a young teenager. In his late teens, he wanted to be free of this gang, but they had control over him, and they warned him, if you ever leave, there will be consequences. He felt stuck in this awful situation. Come his early 20s, he and a group of others from the same gang were sent to intimidate uh, this man. And they beat him and he came up with some serious injuries. But the expectation was that this victim would recover within a few weeks of hospitalisation. This man, who was trapped in this ruthless gang, was caught and sent to the judge. And as he stood before this judge, he cried his eyes out about how he was forced to be a part of this gang, how that he couldn't risk leaving it because he feared for his family's safety, how everything he did was performed unwillingly because he felt that he had to, and it made him sick to the stomach. The judge believes in his heart that this man is telling the truth. What do you think the judge should do in his judgment? Now, here we go. This is where the audience participation comes in, the congregational votes. Now, what should the judge do? If you were the judge, 
And let's say you had this, the authority to make this man walk free or to put him behind bars. Would you feel sorry for him or would you throw the book at him? Now, a show of hands for who thinks this man should be let off with a warning. Anybody? No? Nobody thinks this man should be let off with a warning. Now, obviously that means that everyone thinks they're going, he's going to be put behind bars. Now, who thinks this man should have a reduced sentence for his penance? See, some of you do think that. Now, everyone, everyone else, do you? I'm assuming you're not, none of you are going to abstain from judgment, eh? So you're, you're going to give them a full sentence who haven't raised, raised their hands. Go on, show of hands. So there we go. Most people think that he should get a full sentence for those watching online. <laughs> now, just out of curiosity, I'm just wondering <clears throat> that if God was the judge in this case, who would change their opinion of what they would do? Would anybody do that? Do you think God would judge differently to how you would judge? Show of hands. See? Some of, them, some, some of the people would vote differently or judge differently if they thought God was the standard of judgment there. Now, I've given that scenario not to tell someone they're right or wrong because there is no right or wrong answer. Again, it's down to your own personal judgment, isn't it, what you think about the case. But I've given you the scenario so you can consider the balance between justice and mercy, and how the lines are not always clear-cut about what should be done every time, in every situation. And the thing is, when it comes to God, he gets criticised about his decisions regarding the balance of justice and mercy all over the world every single day by many, many people. They say, how could God send a good person to hell? How can God forgive a murderer and let him into his heaven? How could God do these things? Well, what if I could open the Bible and tell you exactly how God balances justice and mercy? What if I could open his word right now from the Bible and show it to you? Look with me in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 in our opening text. Let's read that together. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, it says there in the middle of that verse that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But let's just slow that down a little bit because we so often just skip over all of those important words, don't we, in the verse. But I want to focus in on two. It says, God is faithful and just to forgive as our sins. You see that justice and forgiveness are side by side in that verse. He's just and he's forgiven. How could that be? How could it be that God could forgive the vilest of sinners but yet remain wholly just in his dealings? And I'd like to take our time here together to explain how that is possible biblically and how this truth impacts our life practically. <clears throat> so firstly, I'd like to speak about God and then uh, about man after that. So firstly, we'll consider God. And the first point I'd like to bring you with is, is that God is light straight from the verse. If you go back to one, John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, 
Then this is the message which we, we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now this is a statement about God's nature, about God's character. God is light. Turn me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We'll see something of the extent of this light. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23. Revelation 21 verse 23 says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And it's speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, isn't it? And it says that the light of God's own glory is the thing, is the light that lights that place. It's his own intrinsic light that comes from himself, lights the whole city, lights the whole new heavens and the new earth. Our verse says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And this speaks of God's perfect righteousness, his perfect holiness, his perfect purity. He has no hint of evil within himself. You know, we as people may need darkness to hide, to cover the evil of our doings at times, but God has no darkness. God always does what is right. God always does what is honourable. God always does what is pure. And God always does what is perfect. You know, I'm sure you've been in a room where you thought, this room looks perfectly clean. Oh, it's all lovely and clean. Got that new smell, new, new clean smell, haven't you? But then you see the rays of sunlight shining through the window. And you see dirt that you've never seen before. You see how much dust is in the air and you think, wow, how am I ever going to get rid of all that dust? You just can't, can you? It's just there. Uh, but the light shows that it isn't perfectly clean. It shows that there is dirt and dust in the, in, in the air and in places that you haven't seen. Now, let's take that illustration and apply it to our lives when the light of God's glory shines on our lives. He sees sin that we didn't even know existed. He, he sees it all. God sees it all. And how can his purity and perfect sense of justice overlook what his own light reveals in your life? And you aren't alone. I ask the same question to me. How can his purity and perfect sense of justice overlook what his light sees in my life? Maybe even the things that I don't even see myself. But when you think as God thinks, you'll see more clearly from his word. And I'd like to share some verses with you. And when you think as God thinks, you understand these verses, how he sees them in his light. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, But we are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All of the good things that we do, when, he, when God sees them, they're like filthy menstrual rags. They're, they're disgusting, they're bloody, they're horrible, they look, they, they look abhorrent, and you wouldn't want to take them in for yourself. You, you just want to cast them away. And he continues to say, and all we, as, as a, uh, all we do um, fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Very powerful description of our sins. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 12 says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. 
How many times did that verse to say, there is none? There is none that doeth good. No one is good. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This speaks of God's perfectly high standard, how he is, how he is light, how he is perfect purity. And when everyone stands before God, they're always falling short of his perfect standard. Nobody makes it, because we all fall short of that standard, which is the glory of God. And back in our opening text, 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, and it says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him, that's God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, who here thinks that they can stand before God with their good works held out, and that God will be pleased with that. That God will accept that. That God will say, that those filthy rags, I'll take them and that's good enough. When you see it the way that he sees it, when the brightness of his glory shines upon your good works, it reveals them to be nothing but filthy rags <clears throat> that are done for your own honour, for your own glory, for your own promotion, for your own selfish ends, really. But... You cannot, you must not bring filthy rags in front of God and expect them to be accepted. God in his perfect justice will shine light on areas of your life that you want nobody to see. Because the truth of the matter is that we barely live up to our own standards, our own moral standards, our own righteous standards. We barely even live up to those standards of what we think is right. And if we can't even live up to our own standards, how are we ever expected to live up to God's standards? We can't, we can't even please ourselves, if we're honest. How are we ever going to please a righteous and holy God? How are we ever going to live up to his perfect standard? So what do we need to do? We need to drop those filthy rags, don't we? We're holding them, we're clinging to them. We're thinking, these are good enough, God's going to accept these. But we need to just turn our hands drop them on the floor, they're not good enough to get into heaven. These good works that I cling to will fail me in the day of judgment. So we've considered that God is light, and now let's consider that God is love. So you've let go of your filthy rags. Now what are you to cling to with those open hands instead? The thought may have crossed your mind that God's love that God is loving. He will forgive me. You are right that God is love. The Bible directly declares that truth. God is love. But how will he forgive you and still yet remain perfectly just? How will he do that? Can he just overlook your sin? Can he overlook the wrong that you've done? And... And somebody not point the finger at him and say, how could a judge overlook that wrong? You know, all of you at the beginning of this sermon, you, you all said he should be judged. Can God just overlook and say, that's okay? Can God do that and be remain just? Or will people point the finger at God and say, that's not right. That's not a good judge. See, the truth is, if God shows perfect justice every time, he must punish every time, every sin, every time. 
If he overlooks sin just once, he can no longer claim to be perfectly just, and he's denied his own self. He is light, he is perfect purity. If he, said, if he overlooks sin just once, he can no longer claim to be that, can he? Which, what does that mean? That means that God is a liar. Can we trust a liar? We can't trust a liar, can we? Do you see where this is going? This is very important that we understand this. And if he's a liar, we should not be trusted, and we should not believe in him. But he's not a liar. But let me turn it around and just talk about another religion for a moment in Islam. Some people say, how do I know that Allah is not the true God? I say, because Allah claims to be just and he overlooks sin. It's as simple as that. He overlooks sin. He claims to be just. He overlooks sin. He's not true to his own self. He's a liar. More accurately put, it's actually a fabrication based on the imagination of men who would love God to overlook their sin. That is actually what happens there. Because men desire their sins to be overlooked, don't they? Do they not? They want to be accepted on their terms. But make no mistake about it. Our God lets no sin go unpunished. But then how can this unflinching judge in the heavens be the embodiment of love? You see the dilemma. But I'll let the Bible speak for itself. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4 verse 9 and 10 says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy... For his great love, wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And John 3.16, that well-known verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God's justice was satisfied when Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect life, and took the punishments that we all deserved. He paid for every one of our sins when he was nailed to the cross to die for them. And therefore God can offer you a full and free pardon if you believe that the blood that was shed for you is good enough to cleanse you of every sin now and forever. The love of God does not overlook sin. The love of God saw our sin. He saw our plight. He saw that we were sinners destined for hell. And the love of God stepped in. Jesus stepped in and gave every man and woman a way back to God. A way to be fully forgiven of their sins. And all the while remaining completely true to his own self and his own character. Both in the fullness of justice and the riches of his love. Isn't that a wonderful truth this morning? Praise God. So when you drop those filthy rags, your hands are wide open to embrace Christ. To embrace his forgiveness for yourself 
And you can do that today, make no mistake about it. You can believe that in your heart that Christ died for your sins and that sacrifice was accepted of the Father. And that Jesus is now sitting raised in the, on the right hands of the Father in glory, ready to hear your prayer, your, indivi- your individual prayer. And to receive you as his child today. That can be done if you believe today. So we've seen that God is light and that God is love. But now let's turn our attention to man and his fickle heart. So so now having been saved through God's power by a work that is wholly outside of ourselves, which was performed in the person of Christ when he shed his blood on the cross for us, some would now think that they need to keep hold of that salvation by their own power, by their own efforts, and by their own ability. You know, you may be one of those people, you, you may know of one of those people, where the doubts flood in, and you wonder, was I ever saved at all? Did I lose my salvation? Let me tell you right now, if you've understood the message of salvation through Jesus Christ, and believed in your heart that you were saved from God's judgment. You were saved from God's judgment once and for all. Turn with me to what, uh, John. Not one, not one John. John. Chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 12. This is speaking of Jesus. John the, the apostle speaking of Jesus in these verses says in John chapter 1 verse 12 but as many has received him Jesus to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God so first I'd like to observe what the truly saved individual did, they received Christ and believed on his name. That's what the verse says. They received Christ, they believed on his name. And it was God who gave the power, right? It was God who gave the power. It was God who initiated the new birth, right? It was God who gave that. And there was... No good work on their part. Look through it. Where's the good works? Where's the good works? There's no good works in there, is there? There was no toil. There was no effort. It was a simple heart's trust in the person and work of Christ. Secondly, let's look at the results of believing. The person becomes a son of God, born into God's family. Now, there's a saying that you can choose your friends... But you cannot choose your family. Isn't that right? You can choose your friends. You cannot choose your family. And why is that? The reason is because you are born into your family. You are born into your family. There's blood that ties you together. There's family ties. You've got no such ties with friends, have you? But with family, they will always be family. There is a direct link whether you'd like it or not. Your brother will always be your brother. Your sister will always be your sister. Your mother will always be your mother. And your father will 
always be your father. And the same is true with the new birth. When we are born into God's families, family, we have new brothers and sisters. Many of them are sitting in this room. Many of them are worldwide. We've got new brothers and sisters. But we have also a new father. We have a new father. And what is a birth? It's a once-for-all event, isn't it? Think of it. It's a once-for-all event. You know, you're not born twice. It's a, you can't be unborn. It's irreversible. You're born and that's it. It's done. And when God became your father, he became your father forever. It's as simple as that. No one can take that away from you. It's a right given by the new birth. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 says that we are kept by the power of God by faith unto salvation. We never earned our salvation and we can never lose our salvation. God has promised that he will guard our salvation with his strength, with his power, with his ability. And, you know, as strong as you think you might be, I would like to see you take God's hand which is holding your salvation and pry it open and take it out there and say, I've lost that. I'd like to see you try it. It's impossible. You're never going to be able to pry God's hand open. You're never going to, by any deed that you do, somehow manage to get God to do this and let it go. He's never going to do that. He's true. He's faithful. He's promised these things what we've seen today and he will always hold your salvation in his hand you can never be lost and now this leads one question unanswered back in 1 John and chapter 1 1 John chapter 1 back in our opening text <clears throat> and we'll address this uh, thought And it says there, 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I would like to draw a difference between a relationship and a fellowship. A relationship and fellowship. There's a a difference and understanding this will help you to understand these verses and many other verses in the Bible. There's a difference between relationship and fellowship. Relationship is gained through birth into the family of God, and it's a position in the family that can never be changed. Just like when you're born into your family, it's a position that can never be changed. But fellowship, as an analogy, <clears throat> is how well you're getting on with your family members. How about and This can be impacted negatively or positively through our own behaviour, through our attitudes, through our actions. So even though that sin has no impact on our relationship with God, in the sense that we're always going to be family, we are tied to him through birth. But sin does have an impact on our fellowship with God. It draws a barrier up between us and God. And we lose the blessings of having fellowship with God, of walking closely with God, and all of the benefits and blessings that that provides. You know, what happens if you offend a family member and you're not speaking with them? 
the, the relationship's still there, isn't it? But you're not enjoying any of the benefits of the relationship. Does that make sense? <clears throat> now, in a perfect mood in that situation, you go back to your family member, you would apologise for the wrong that you've done, and the family member will accept the apology, and you will continue in harmony again, one with another. <laughs> I wish it always works like that. It doesn't always work like that. But, you know, the same's true with God. Confession there in that verse, if we confess our sins, literally means to say the same thing. To agree with God about what sin is and those specific sins in your life that are hindering your fellowship with him. You see, you cannot hide it away from God. God is light. He will always see your sin. He knows all about you. And he knows that that sin is hindering uh, his fellowship with you and your fellowship one with another. <clears throat> the promise of our glorious and faithful God in this verse here <clears throat> is that if we come to him saying the same thing, agreeing with him that that sin is wrong and that I'm sorry for that sin and I want you to walk with me again, please forgive me. I know that Jesus has paid for it all. I know that his blood covers this. We have the promise of God that he'll be back uh, where well, we will be back fully in fellowship with him again. It's as simple as that. And it's a tremendous blessing. It is a tremendous blessing because we have family members that may never forgive us, though we have apologised time and time and time again. But our God does not hold a grudge. He does not hold a grudge. He forgives every time we come to him confessing our sins. What a God we serve, right? Amen. What a God we serve. You know, I love the picture that 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 paints. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The picture is of us walking side by side with God, surrounded by his pure, radiant light. And when you think of all the times that you sin and all the times that you've needed to come to Christ for that cleansing that's spoken of there, all of the times that you've got dusty and dirty walking through this world and in your day-to-day -day lives, and God, the perfect just judge the king of heaven the one who spoke the world into existence is ready to dust you down and allow to and allow you to walk with him yet again in the light of his glory what would we ever do to deserve that there is nothing we did to, to deserve that that's beautiful that's a beautiful picture and i think that schofield says it well and he says that sin interrupts but confession restores that fellowship. Immediate confession keeps the fellowship unbroken. Sin is just an interruption. It's never permanent. It's never permanent. We can always come and we can always apply the blood for cleansing. And it's just temporary. And then as soon as we confess it, we're right back in there. Walking with God in his light. And he always accepts us. It's simple as that. God made all the arrangements, he made all of the provisions to walk in the light with him. And all we need to do is agree with him and take him upon the offer. It's as simple as that. Now, as I'd like to close, I'd like to consider God as a light shining on the believer's life. 
You know, he sees it all. He sees all your imperfections. He sees all of your doubts. He sees all of your sin. He sees all of your failings. He sees all of your shortcomings. And do you know what? He loves you and accepts you in spite of it all. Your heavenly father loves you better than any earthly father could ever love his child. Your heavenly father will always be there to pick you up when you fall. When you fall, you are the apple of his eye and you are his beloved child. When you sin and your natural tendency is, I've done a bad thing that's hiding in the darkness. Let's hide that you may never be found. Don't do that. Turn your eyes on Jesus who embraced all of your darkness on the cross. You no longer have to hide. When he was on the cross, it went completely dark, didn't it? He was taking our darkness. He was taking our punishments. We don't have to hide anymore. Provision has been made. The blood has been shed. We can be forgiven. We can be restored to fellowship once again. Now, believer, God's arms are always wide open for his children. So what do we do? We run to him professing and we find acceptance, forgiveness and fullness of joy every time, today, tomorrow and every day until we finally meet our saviour face to face where we will truly walk in his glorious light. What a blessing, what a privilege. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these truths of your word. I've been blessed studying this, and I hope the people have been blessed here today listening to it. But ultimately, we're just blessed by you and your awesome mercy, your awesome grace, how you've made this master plan of salvation that works not just for us, but for you as well, and that you can stay true to yourself and we can worship you in the fullness of your holiness and glory. You've made such great provision for us. What a God we serve. We thank you, Lord, for that. We, we, and we pray, Lord, today that if there's any believer walking out of step with you, if there's any sin that is it's any sin that a believer in you is cowering in darkness away from you let let them know that you see it you light and you can come and they can come to you and find that forgiveness and walk again in your life with you experience and the blessings of walking with you each day but for those who have who, who have never trusted you who have, who have never been born again uh, experienced that new birth with no relationship with you help them to see Jesus for who he is and to bow the knee to him to accept him as a saviour to believe on his name and Lord they will uh, they went into that relationship with you by your own provision and by your own grace we thank you for this in Jesus name amen amen so shall we stand